Welcome to Kaya, the college and young adult ministry of Midtown Baptist Temple, a ministry seeking to pursue a deeper faith in Jesus Christ through God's Word, fellowship, and prayer. Amen. You may be seated. All right. Am I, am I on? We're down a little bit this week. We're probably running almost maybe half of what we're used to having uh, in service, and that's probably due to, to people who are quarantining, family members getting sick with COVID, uh, things like that. Um, and so we need to make sure that we're keeping one another in, in prayer. Can we do that? Can we commit to making sure that we're praying? Look around. Uh, you know the people that aren't here this morning. Um, let's be praying for them. Many of you know that um, our dear brother, Eric Phillips, is very sick. Um, he's, he's not only come down with COVID, but he's got pneumonia and a blood infection. And, uh, and so he's, he's turned the corner. He's doing better now. But uh, obviously he's quarantining and he's at the hospital right now. We need to pray for him and those that are in similar situations uh, to that. We need to be lifting them, them up. Also, be working to make sure that your friends are remaining connected. And so if you need to share a link to the live stream, even right now, so that people are catching service, uh, so they're staying in touch with Kaya, you should do that. You should text them right now and, and, and give them a, a heads up. Hey, don't forget to, to stay with us in Kaya this morning, even though you're at home. Cool? Cool. We're in Acts chapter 17. Are you guys alive? You, I need you to wake up. I don't, I'm going to say it right up front, I do not know where this is going this morning. I mean, I did my studying, and there are just sometimes you prepare and you study, and you, you've, you, your outline is just not as firm as it usually is, and that means it's like, the, it's like the wild west up here. I have no idea where this is going, and so you need to, you need to pray for me, uh, but uh, maybe God's up to something, and, uh, and, and we want to be listening to him. Turn to Acts chapter 17. When we were together last time, we were talking about Paul's trip to uh, a, a town called Berea. Paul and Timothy and Silas and Luke, they're headed uh, to this town called Berea that's not too far from Thessalonica. It's probably could, could be considered like a suburb of Thessalonica, a major uh, metropolis. And uh, when they get there, they're surprised because the people there are fairly receptive to the gospel that they're preaching. And if you've been with us in, in, in Acts chapter 17 and 16, you've, you've seen over and over again that it hasn't been a very easy trip through Macedonia for these guys. Um, they've grown accustomed to uh, lots of oppression, people fighting with them, imprisoning them, beating them. It hasn't been a very easy trip. And so when they get to Berea, they are refreshed by the fact that the people are actually willing to listen and hear what they have to say. Now, with that, the Bereans are not naive, okay? They're not naive people. They're not just accepting things outright. They take the time to hear Paul out, and then they take what he has to say, and they compare it against Scripture. Now, these are people that come from a Jewish background, and so they know and they are familiar with God's Word. And so they take the words of Paul, and they compare them against the prophecies of the Old Testament— and they come to a place of belief. Now, what we looked at last week is this idea that, that, that we ought to not be naive to, right? We, we ought to take God's word 
And we ought to take the things that men say, the philosophies and the knowledge that, that come from the mouth and the pen of human beings, flawed human beings, we ought to take those things at face value, and then we ought to run them through the ringer of Scripture. And whatever comes out on the other side, the things that the Word of God has proved out, then we ought to adopt those things. But if it, if it goes through the ringer of God's Word and it doesn't make it through, if it goes through that furnace and it's burned up as chaff, then those are things that we ought to reject. And Christians are really bad about this. We're really bad about this. We talked about it in terms of some people are really cynical. They're not willing to listen and they're not willing to do the hard work of running things through, through, things through God's Word. And then there's other, people, there's other people who are very passive and they just adopt anything that they hear. Both of those places, are, those are dangerous places to be. Okay, we ought to take God's word as a, as, a, as a precise and surgical tool and we ought to chisel away at the things that are, are fleshly and wicked and we ought to do away with those things. But the things that endure, we ought to adopt those things and believe them. And so I'm, I'm asking you, I know there's a lot of really young believers in here and you've come from many different faith backgrounds and, 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 and maybe different denominations and you're here and there's things that you're not so sure about at Midtown. You're, not, you're still working and proving those things out. Listen, let the word of God do the proving. Do the hard work. Be a Berean and do the hard work. Let the word of God prove what is and isn't true. I'm just a nobody, okay? I'm a nobody. I'm a man that, that has a simple faith and I believe God's word. I am imperfect, and there, be, there are things that I've messed up. There'll be things that I mess up today, okay? Don't trust me. Trust God's word. You understand? Now, as our story continues and progresses, what happens is in Berea, Paul's kind of created a stir. The Jews from Thessalonica have followed him to Berea, and they're causing problems. And so, you know, the guys confer. The missions team confers together. They say, okay, what are we going to do? Paul decides to leave and go to Athens. And the other guys decide to stay a little bit longer because maybe, maybe he doesn't tell us, but Paul's the one that's created the stir and, he, and, and his face and his voice is the one that's actually causing the problem. And so Timothy and, and Silas and Luke decide to stay a little bit longer in Berea to make sure that the disciples are ready and prepared uh, so that when they leave that they're mature enough to handle that responsibility. You understand? So Paul goes, to, goes down to Athens, okay? So I think that there's a map. If you guys are following with me, actually, there's a verse. There's the map. Good. So you can see there's Berea. Athens is a little bit further down. Okay. So they make their, uh, Paul makes his way to Athens. And the rest of the team is going to catch up with him. Now let's look at the passage. Let's read it. And then let's consider what we're going to look at today. Acts 17.13 says, But when the Jews of Thessalonica had knowledge that the word of God was preached of Paul at Berea, they came thither also and stirred up the people. And then immediately the brethren sent away Paul to go as it were to the sea. But Silas and Timotheus abode there still. And they that conducted Paul brought him unto Athens and receiving a commandment unto Silas and Timotheus for to come to him with all speed they departed. So they had a plan and Paul headed down to Athens. Now listen, as Paul enters the great city of Athens... One of the greatest cities in the world at this time. What we're going to see is that something happens in his heart. An overwhelming burden begins to settle in. And he's got to do something with that. And so here's our question for today. Okay, I need you to write this down and I need you to consider it throughout our message. The question for us today is this. How burdened are you 
for Kansas City? How burdened are you really for the city that you live in? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that your word delivered the good news of the gospel to us. That it's by this book, the preservation of these words, that, Lord, once upon a time in a Sunday school classroom, I came to faith. And for every one of us in this room, we would, we would have nothing if it wasn't for the delivery of your word. Well, we are so thankful that there are people in this world that are still faithful to preach the gospel. And Lord, I would pray that in the last days, in the days of Laodicea, that we would also be faithful to preach the words of the gospel, that we wouldn't, we wouldn't let any of your words fall to the ground and, and, and allow them to be abandoned or, or, or neglected in any way whatsoever, Lord, that we would hold on to them, we would cherish them, and that we would go to our city and we would preach. God, I pray for those who aren't with us this morning, Lord, keep them in good health. Help them to heal up. Help them to pr uh, protect their loved ones uh, in a season that seems unsure. Uh, Lord, but allow them also to not have fear, to be wise, but not be fearful. Lord, bring them back to us quickly that we might be in your word together, that we might worship you as a family. Lord, we want to pray for Eric Phillips, Lord. We pray for a speedy recovery and that you would bring back full strength to him. God, we love you and we thank you for this time. In Jesus' name. Amen. So Paul arrives in Athens. So, so Paul fi uh, suddenly finds himself alone. Now he hasn't been alone for a while. All these missions trips, he's got teams, he's been working in teams. And so this is one of the first times we actually see Paul by himself. Yeah? There's Athens. Okay? Now at one point in time... Athens would have been seen as one of the greatest cities on earth. And Paul, who has spent most of his childhood in higher education, right? We, one of the things we know about Paul is that he was highly educated. He was educated by Romans. He was educated by the Jewish order of his day. He was highly religious, okay? And he was a, he was a man of, of great intellectual power, and he's the type of guy who would have come to Athens and looked around and said, man, this is an amazing place. This is, this is where all the guys that I grew up learning about came from. The guys like Socrates and Plato and, Plato and Aristotle and, 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 and Pythagoras. And all of the curriculum that he would have been learning as a young child would have come from this place. He would have heard stories about these men and their philosophies. And he would have had a reverence for the city of Athens. At the, at the time that Paul arrived in Athens, it was under Roman rule in a time that we refer to as Pax Romana, okay, which basically is, is a reference to the, the, this time period, period in Rome where there was a diplomacy of peace. Okay? It was a, they were working to build and unite uh, the, the colonies that they had appropriated through war, and they're working to establish peace between these different outposts and these different towns and cities, and they were approaching them with a gentle but firm hand, and they were working to build peace. And Athens was given the status of a free city. Okay, It had many of the world's most famous schools there. And during this time, there were more philosophers in Athens 
than at any other time in its history. It was still an intellectual powerhouse. It was still an academic powerhouse. And it was still producing some of the most learned people ever. And while Rome ruled the world through its economic and military power, Athens was still the great educational and cultural power of the world. Now you can kind of imagine for a moment that Paul would have come there and been slightly enamored. And I don't know if you guys have ever been to like an ancient city. Maybe you've visited Europe before. And you've walked around, and you've got to think about all the things that you want to do when you're in a place like that. Like, you want to see all the best sites, you want to see the sculptures and the art, right? You want to take in the culture. You, you know, I mean, you're, you're young enough that, like, if you were in a European city, or maybe even a place like Rome today, Florence perhaps, that at night you'd want to go to the cafes and you want to visit the, the different restaurants and taste the food and see the people bustling about. That's the type of experience that you'd want to have, right? Are you in agreement? That sounds great to me. But that's not quite the experience that Paul had. As Paul finds himself alone with his thoughts wandering the streets of Athens, he's unable to see the city for its wonder. He's, he's unable to enjoy it the way that you would imagine. He fails to see it through the lens of his love for education and culture. He's unable to see it in terms of the city's entertainment value. He was only able to see it through God's eyes. So here we have the man who found joy in a prison cell. Just a chapter ago, you remember that? He's beaten, he's bloody, he's in a prison cell, and he's rejoicing. It's like he couldn't be in, in any other better place in the world in that moment. He's singing, and he's full of joy. Now here he's in one of the most beautiful cities in the world. And you'd think, man, this guy, he's going to enjoy it. He's going he's to take this as a break. This is an he's been looking for an opportunity to rest, perhaps. And here he can enjoy Athens. And instead, he's incredibly grieved. He's grieved. Let's look at what Scripture says. Now, Paul, now, while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. Does anybody know this feeling? This feeling of being stirred up? Do you know what it's like for that spark of God's spirit to ignite your heart and the kindling of your heart begins to burn when you begin to realize with great conviction that God wants you to do something, do you know that feeling? Are you familiar with that? His heart was in his throat. You know, you know that feeling where you, you like, you're so overcome with emotion that you can't hardly swallow? You're so moved with pain, sadness. The question is, do you see your city this way? Do you see Kansas City this way? I, I love Kansas City. I love it. And I think for most people that grow up in Kansas City, there's this like, there's just certain cities, like the city of Cleveland. Like no one should love Cleveland, but the people in Cleveland love it. Like in my mind, it's like, it's like an armpit, right? Cleveland is like the worst place. I don't want to go there, right? I have no, there's nothing in like, there's nothing about Cleveland that I, 
Kansas City is a much better city than Cleveland, but people are obsessed about Kansas City the same way, right? There was like a season where everybody was wearing those Baldwin hats. Every, every, you'd look out across the sanctuary, and there'd be like 20 Baldwin hats that say KC. People love Kansas City. They love the Royals. They love the Chiefs. They love visiting the city, and I'm just like that. I grew up here, and I love Kansas City. I personally think that there is no other city on earth like Kansas City. There's no city on earth like Kansas City. I think that the people here are particularly friendly compared to other urban places. They're kinder. They're gentler. If you go to Chicago, the people there, it might be a bigger city. The people there just aren't as friendly. They're not as kind. I think that that Kansas City is incredibly pragmatic. It's the show me state. And people here, are they want evidence. And I love that about them. They're very practical in the, in the way that they see the world. They're not, they're not quick to make decisions. Decisions take a little bit longer around here, right? It's a city that is investing in itself. I mean, just 10 years ago, the downtown didn't look anything like it does now, what, right? Everything is changing because people love it and they want to pour into it. The art scene here is fantastic. It has been forever because of the Art Institute. Kansas City is like, like one of the most unknown art cities in the, in the U.S. because of our museums and because of our galleries and because, because the entrepreneurs in the city have continued to give back to the arts. It's an incredible place in terms of culture. The food in this city is some of the best in the world. In the Midwest, it would be Chicago, Minneapolis, Kansas City as the best food in the Midwest. It just, it's just that way. I used to be in the coffee industry. You guys know that. In terms of the, of the coffee industry, I mean, who doesn't love coffee, right? Kansas City was, in terms of the, the, the coffee that it produced, in terms of specialty coffee, coffee was, was better than any city in all of Europe. There were more small roasters, small craft roasters coming out of Kansas City than any other place in, in, in the U.S. besides maybe L.A. and Portland. It's just, I just love this place. Does anybody else agree? I love, I freaking love Kansas City. And I'm stupid about it, okay? And even with that bias, when I drive through my city, when I drive through Brookside, down past UMKC, past the museum, by the Art Institute. When I hang out in Westport, I go get lunch. When I'm at the River Market or Columbus Park and I look around, or I'm in the Northeast, or I go up to Strawberry Hill for some reason, I see the city I love wholly given to idolatry. I can't help but see it. I can't help but see it in terms of its lostness. I can't help it. It burns inside of me that the people that I love, that the city that I love does not know the Christ that I adore. It drives me crazy. I see a city consumed with materialism. People coming in from the suburbs to spend their whole day spending thousands of dollars on the plaza for absolutely no reason for just crap that's just going to burn and disappear. I see a city that's fraught with racial division 
truth just dividing our city right in half. And no matter how hard we work to, to bridge that divide, it just seems like it can't be done. No amount of social justice or protesting, nothing seems to be able to fix that. I see a city that's a hub for sex trafficking and drug distribution. And block by block, it seems that the, 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 the neighborhood changes street after street. The further east you go, it seems like things just get worse and worse and worse. And there's more burnout homes. And it seems like no one's paying any attention to those folks. I see a city distracted with sports and entertainment so that they don't have time to consider their own sin. Football season's about to start in our city in, the, in, in churches just like this one. The attendance will drop drastically because we have our gods. We have our idols. We have our things that we're worshiping. And we are a city that's wholly given to idolatry. And there is no mayor that we can bring in. There is no, there is no school superintendent that can fix this. There's no amount of protesting or activism or petitions that you can sign that makes this city right. And there is only one solution. And many of you in this room, you have that solution. Is it burning in you? Here's our first key point. We cannot unsettle Kansas City until we are first unsettled by Kansas City. We've been talking for weeks about how we can turn the world upside down, how we see a model for how to, how to turn the world upside down the exact same way Paul and those missionaries did as they passed through Europe and how God used them to see so many people converted and, and they literally said about them, these are the men that turned the world upside down and they've come to our city too. Uh-oh, uh-oh. And we look at that and we say, that's amazing. We want to be Christians just like that. But here's the, here's the deal, folks. You will never be that kind of Christian until you're burdened the way those Christians were. Until your heart is burning within you. Do you ever just sit and consider Kansas City? Just consider it. Do you ever sit and wonder why God has brought you to this city of all places? There's some of you that have come here for education. You've got scholarships here and schools here. Do you ever just sit and wonder, how did I end up here? International students, you could have ended up in any city in the world. And you're here in Kansas City. Do you ever just sit and think, how did I come here? How is it that God brought me to this place? Do you see things the way God sees them? Do you see the loss that surround you? on your campuses, in your workplace? Do you see them with his eyes? Verse 16 says, Now while Paul waited for them in Athens, his spirit was stirred in him. Until we are stirred in our spirit, until we're uncomfortable with the status quo that surrounds us, 
then we have effectively as Christians benched ourselves. Until our cage starts getting rattled, we have effectively benched ourselves. You know, as Christians, we allow ourselves to look around our city, look around our world and say to ourselves, well, this is just the way things are. This is, this is just the way the world is. The world is lost, and you know, hopefully Christ is coming back soon, and I can escape this reality, and everything will be good then. Shame on us. Shame on us. You see the news ticker and you tell yourself that the world is headed downhill. I mean, wouldn't we all agree with that? That things aren't going well in the world? And we see that and we just throw our hands up in the air. There's very little I can do. Shame on us. We have grown complacent as it concerns our city. And instead, we concern ourselves with things of very little importance. We fill our time trying to get ahead in our job, get more education, make more money, get that apartment, get that house, find that husband, find that wife. And all the while, we can't see it because we don't have God's eyes. All the while, our city is going to hell. Souls eternally separated from a God that loves them. A God that sent his only son to die for them. His very creation destroying him on the cross. No, we're complacent. William Carey says, I'm not afraid of failure. I'm afraid of succeeding at things that don't matter. I'm afraid of succeeding at things that don't matter. This man of God is, is telling us that if we fill our lives with worth, worthless trash, things that aren't eternal in nature, then that's the true failure. You're gonna, at the end of your life, you're going to stand and say, well, I was the best, I was the best artist. I built, I built a reputation. I had a clientele base. I made some money. I had that really good job. It was, it was awesome. It was successful. I built a pool in the backyard. I had kids, and we had a great time. Life was fun. And then it's over. And you have absolutely nothing to show for it in eternity. This is, this is a serious matter. We decline or squander opportunities with the lost time and time and time again because of discomfort and a failure to see the spiritual reality around us. Many of us have forgotten our true purposes. We've forgotten that we've been purchased with the blood of Jesus Christ. We've forgotten that every good gift comes from above. We've forgotten that he made us to be fishers of men. We've forgotten. And we remain unstirred in our hearts. We remain unaffected by the people that we see day to day. We go to the grocery store. We get in our car. We go to the gas station. We run errands. We bump into people. We have coworkers that we don't really like. We don't pay them any attention. We try to ignore them. They're annoying. And we justify all of this in our mind. And all, all the while, people are, are living lives compartmentalized and segregated. And people are just going right off the, the, the assembly line into hell. 
and it doesn't affect us. Key point. Our lack of stirring is a sign of false security and comfort. Our lack of stirring, that the fact that the, the fire is not being kindled in our hearts, the fact that we don't feel that feeling that Paul felt, the fact that that goes neglected and we remain cold to the reality that surrounds us, the fact that we can't see things in God, through God's eyes, has everything to do with the fact that we have false security and comforts in this world. James reminded us just a couple of weeks ago of the nation of Israel when they came out of bondage, when they crossed the Red Sea. It was just on the other side of the Red Sea that they found themselves complaining that the food wasn't what they expected. They were ready to go back. They had experienced the wonder of the Red Sea parting. And they came to the other side and just like that, they had grown complacent. They had grown comfortable. This isn't quite what I expected it would be. There's something the matter with us. Luke chapter 12, verse 16 says, And he spake with a parable, that is Jesus, unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully, and he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, This will I do. I will put down my barns and build greater. And there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for me for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose, whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? This is a story of a man who had great wealth. So much wealth that he just decided to invest everything he had into storing it up. And God takes his life like that. And all that stuff is just left, just left behind, just squandered, worthless. Worthless, absolutely worthless. And there are Christians in this room who are doing the exact same thing. James 5.5 says, Ye have lived in pleasure on the earth and been wanton. Ye have nourished your hearts as in a day of slaughter. I always thought the most vain activity ever was on death row before someone is executed. It's that one last meal. I'd really like some, you know, fried chicken. And it's as worthless as that meal. That's how we live our lives. That's how we live our lives, as vain as the last meal. I want to suggest to you that there's a simple answer for your complacency. Here's our next key point. Concern for lost souls is a byproduct of pursuing God's heart, period. Period. There is no other way of getting the passion that we're describing. There's no, way, there's no way of finding that unsettling, that purpose, that intense burden. There's no way of finding that without getting close to Jesus Christ through his word. It is a byproduct only, only of knowing him and knowing him more intimately. You can't find it anywhere else. You can't conjure it up in a worship set. 
That feels great, but when you leave and you get in your car, it's over. It's over. Right? You can't get it from just going to a Bible study and being with your friends and being spoon-fed the word. No, 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 no. That's not good enough. What we're talking about is allowing your life to be transformed by God's word through a daily relationship with him where he's telling you things that he's not telling anyone else. You obsessing yourself over him. Him calling out to you, the lover of your soul, your deepest companion. This is the only way to get his reality, his spiritual reality, to get his eyes and to get his stirring. It's the only way. My son is a Chicago Bulls fan. Greg, you know. My son is a Chicago Bulls fan. He has a poster of Michael Jordan, the free throw line dunk, big one, like this, over his dresser. He has a collection of McFarlane uh, Bulls action figures. I don't know if you're familiar with McFarlane, but he makes these really cool men toys, basically. Lots of detail. I've, got all, I've, I've collected for him all of these Pau Gasol, Ben Gordon, all the players of the past, these action figures. My son has an autographed Scottie Pippen basketball. He thinks that's really cool. And my son will one day inherit my 400 Michael Jordan basketball cards. They will, they will be his. Now listen to me. My son has a heart for the Bulls. But that didn't happen by accident. It happened because he loves his dad. And what his dad loves, he wants to be close to that. He wants to know about it. He wants me to sit and talk to him about all the players that I grew up with. And I, he, wants me to tell, he wants me to tell him how the Bulls are doing this year. Not so well, son. It's a rough year. It's not been good. He wants to know those things because he wants to be close to me. And that's true for us too. The only way we can have a heart that's, that's akin to Jesus Christ is to get familiar with him. We have to get familiar with him. Where is your childlike passion for Jesus? What happened to wanting what your father wants? If you can't see the spiritual reality of the city around you and be stirred, then try looking to the heart of God. Does it break your heart to see your city? See, if you are unsettled, then you can't be used. That's a bold statement. Think about that for a second. If you aren't unsettled, if you're not moved in the way that I'm describing, then you can't actually be used. What's God going to do with you if you don't have a burden for the things that he's burdened with? You can't be used. Your life will be squandered. So what happens to the perspective of an individual who's pressed into Christ, who has molded themselves after the image of God, who's obsessed themselves with every word of Scripture? What happens to that person? Verse 16. Now, while Paul waited for them in Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. Therefore, 
Therefore, he disputed, he in the synagogues, with the Jews and with the devout persons and in the market daily with them that met with him. See, when Paul looked out at Athens, he didn't see it for its ancient beauty. He didn't see it as a city of education and thought. He saw it as a city wholly given to idolatry and headed to hell. And he was stirred. Paul was moved because he had learned to care for the things that Christ cares for. Mark 6.33 says this. Listen carefully. And the people saw them departing, and many knew him, and ran afoot thither out of all cities, and outwent them and came together unto him. And Jesus, when he came out, he saw much people. What's it say? He was moved with compassion towards them because they were as sheep not having a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. Paul had Christ's heart. When Christ saw the Jewish people and he saw that they were like sheep without a shepherd, that they were led astray, that they were wandering, that they had no hope, that they had no purpose, his heart was moved to to compassion. And he began to teach them. Paul walks into Athens. He sees a city of great beauty, but he looks beyond that. And he begins to see the hurt. And he begins to see the thousands of idols that they've erected everywhere he goes. He sees a a statue and an idol uh, devoted to some other false god. He sees the worship in the pagan temples. And his heart is moved with compassion. And the only thing he knows what, how to do, the only thing he knows what to do, is to preach, is to teach. That's the outpouring. That's, that's the stirring up. This word stirred means provoked or spurred to action. It's different. Earlier on in the chapter, we see that the people in, in Berea were stirred up. And that word means agitated. Okay, they were just agitated. They were just frustrated and agitated. But there's a different type of stirring here. This word stirred means provoked into action to move forward. And when we get that stirring, it's not good enough to just let it reside inside of us, to have that fire built up and burnt up. And then just leave it alone. Just squander it. Just allow it, allow it to burn out. Just to feel it in that moment, to know it and to see it, and then just let it go. That's not good enough. This is a stirring that should provoke us to action. And when Paul saw Athens for what it truly was, he had to preach. He preached, and he preached, and he preached again. He disputed in the synagogue. He went to the devout and the religious. He went into the marketplace among the common people. He went, and he went daily, is what it says. He spoke with anyone and everyone that would listen. Key point. Those are my dudes right there. That's it. There's nothing else. (laughs) 
There's literally nothing else. Once the gospel begins to burn within you, it is a fire that can only be satisfied by preaching. That zeal has to come out. That, that passion, that compassion that I feel for the lost, it has to come out. And the only thing I know to do is to just tell people about Jesus. I don't know what else to do. It's the only thing that satisfies the itch within my soul is to preach. Jeremiah 20 talks about the words of God burning like fire in his bones. Psalm 126, 6 tells us of the sowing of the seed. It says, He that goeth forth and weepeth beareth precious seed shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. This uh, last week, I've, I've been doing some work in my yard. I, I poured a, a patio in the backyard, and we re-poured our driveway. Real exciting uh, stuff. It's the hardest that I've, I've, like, I've, I've been on my body since I was in like, my early 20s. Like, I, I, was so beat, I was so worn out. But once everything was done, the last thing to do was to, to go back and replant seed where we basically tore the yard up. And uh, Co- Cody was with me on Friday. Cody came and helped me. Uh, uh, to plant the seed. Now, you've, you've heard me talk about my approach to, to planting grass. You've heard about this, right? We've talked about this before. I, I, I don't just seed, I overseed. I overseed and I overseed. I, I buy a bunch. I spent $150 on grass seed this week. That's how bad, that's actually just how bad the yard was tore up. <clears throat> because I had to overseed, because in my mind, only overseeding was gonna pro- is going to produce the grass this fall that I need it to do. So, so when it goes dormant, it'll actually come back next Oh, sorry. I'm sorry. This is dad stuff. I'm sorry. Uh, this is like super boring and you're checking out, but there's an illustration here. You know, 150 bucks for me, not, you know, not a big deal. It's, it's, it's painful when I'm doing it, um, but I can save money and I can see that this is worth it so that my kids can play in the backyard. It's a cost that I was willing to pay. I've been saving money to do this and it was a cost that I was willing to make. But I don't know if you know this, but there's places in the world, uh, subsistence farmers, still exist in the world, places like Africa. And they might only have three or four good months to plant seed every year. And the harvest that they get from planting that seed is supposed to last them throughout the entire drought, especially near like places like the Sahara, where the ground gets really hard and you can't plant anything, right? There's only moisture certain times of the year, and you got to get your planting in, and you got to get it done then. And in places like that, people might only eat one meal a day. Because they're, they're trying to preserve the grain and the food that they produced in the, in the harvest. They're trying to preserve that and they're getting by day by day by day. And they're eating smaller meals. And as it comes into their springtime, people are real skinny. And they'll go and they'll get the grain that they had to save. You know, they could have eaten it. They could have taken the wheat from the previous harvest. They could have taken those grains and they could have devoured them upon their flesh. They could have done that just to get by, just to have another meal. But instead, they set back that grain. They held it because they knew that they were going to have to plant again. They knew that there was a springtime coming. And if they didn't have that seed, if they didn't have that grain, if they would have ate it and squandered it away, they wouldn't be able to to, to plant and they wouldn't bear another harvest. 
And so when we talk about sowing seed and weeping, weeping and knowing the pain of investing God's word, that's the kind of pain that we're talking about. A man in his field who could have fed his family with that grain, sowing it into the ground with the hope, with the hope that it bears fruit. We sow the seed of the gospel and we sow it in tears because we know that the seed of the gospel is a matter of life and death. We know its severity. And when it's a matter of life and death, There is no cost too high or burdensome that you wouldn't pay it. What would you be willing to give to see this city saved? Will you labor with tears? Will you invest everything for the sake of one soul? There's a story there's a story about a man who knows that there's, a, there's this precious pearl in a field. And he sells everything he has, gives up everything, to buy that field, to attain that one precious pearl. What are you willing to give to reach the lost of this city? I I am just foolish and stupid enough to believe that Kansas City can be saved. And I'm going to preach my guts out. I often hear, Brandon, you're a very intense person. Yes, I own that. I own that. Because there's one thing that I've come to recognize, that the gospel is a matter of life and death. And the problem with Christians today is that we consume the gospel upon our own flesh And we don't recognize that it needs to be sown and that it's a matter of life and death. And if this morning you've forgotten, the worship team can come up, if you've forgotten the value of the gospel and your heart is not stirred within you for your city, if you don't know what that's like, or if you've forgotten, maybe once upon a time there was a fire that burned inside of you, I want to pray for you and ask that you would come forward and get prayer from someone. There'll be people that are standing up here. They want to pray with you or people that are sitting with you in the pew. They want to pray with you. They want to share that burden with you. They want to call upon God with you. But I also know that there are a few of you in this room who have never known Jesus Christ. Oh, you know the name. You know the story. You were in Sunday school, just like Micah was, just like Autumn was. You were there once upon a time, and you heard the stories. Yeah, you know, you know that. But you never allowed yourself to die to receive what he sent you. You never gave up on you to receive Jesus. You never laid hold on the grace and the gift that Jesus Christ brought to you through his death, burial, and resurrection. You've never known that. 
And you will never know the purpose that I know until you've given him your life. And if you're that person, then you need to come forward. You need to, you need to talk with someone. You need to actually look and peer into who Jesus Christ really is and make a decision for yourself. Is he worth laying your life down for the way he laid his life down for you? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, uh, this, this message was a burden. I didn't even know how to preach it. I, and I, I did it feebly. There's no way I can convey with my voice the power and the severity of, of an eternity separated from Jesus Christ. And we live in a city full of people. 600,000 people in this city who don't know their right hand from their left. And their lives are destined for a destination. And we have a seed. We have something that we can give them. There's something that we can deliver to them with the hope that, Lord, that you would just, that you would bear a fruit, that you would make a change, that our city would be, would be run by the Holy Spirit and not by our best efforts, or that the, that the fame of Jesus Christ would be known in Kansas City, that a true impact could be had, that a harvest could come. You, you have the power through your children, to see, that, to see that come to fruition. And Lord, we call upon you. Use us to do it. Help us. Lead us. Go before us. Stir our hearts. Give us your eyes as we walk, as we move about within this space, within this community. Help us to see the souls. Help us to not neglect them. Help us to grieve over them. And help us to preach to them. Lord, if there's anyone here today who does not know you, Lord, I pray that they would deal with that immediately after this service, that they wouldn't go on not knowing their own eternal destiny. We love you, and we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, and for all the purpose that he brings. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope that today's message encouraged you to follow Christ in his word. For more information about Kaya, for service times and information about our disciple-making ministry, please visit our website at caya.live.